Hi, Stably. Hi, Jerry. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good World Cup morning to you. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Guten uh, Morgen. Yeah. You Buenos ruined you, you ruined my um <laughs> you ruined my uh my scripted joke. Oh, I stepped all over it. Okay. You stepped all over because you're supposed to say what are you supposed to say? When I say doing? to you, yeah, I said, How are you, Stably? You're supposed to say I'm fine. How are you? And I was gonna say, I'm good. I'm feeling a little gay. No. Oh. I'm feeling disabled. <laughs> well, that's that one's right. I'm feeling cord. Yeah. Well, you are Cuban, so all of those. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just live in La Vida, Jerry. That's right. Uh-huh. Uh, we uh, are here on the eve of La Copa Mundial. The eve? Well, I mean. It's like the day, the morn. Well, I, I mean, you know, I, I guess so. Uh, what, what, does, what is, does Eve have to be a full day before? Can Eve just be I think seconds it has, before? I Eve mean, just I means think, a moment. Like it has to just, it's just right before, right? I think that's the cusp. Oh, gosh. Okay, we're on the cusp. Yeah. We're on the edge. We're on the edge. I'm on, I'm on the edge. <laughs> I mean, Ecuador versus Qatar? Yeah. Never have I ever. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, so right now, as we speak, the opening ceremony uh, with Yoon Kook from BTS is uh, commencing. Uh, we're going to try to wrap this up quickly so we can get to our uh, celebrations to watch. Uh-huh. Uh, Qatar, uh, trounce Ecuador. Yep. Uh, Just me and a couple thousand of my closest... Uh, Kerala England, friends. Kerala Indian, uh, yeah, uh, England fans. Uh, and so we we uh, decided to uh, talk about Soccernomics uh, by Simon Cooper and Stefan Zemanski. What's the, uh, I thought I had it written down. What is the subtitle to the book? So this version subtitle is, the full title, Soccernomics, Why European Men and American Women Win and Billion Owners Are Destined to Lose. Yes. This is the 2022 World Cup edition. So I uh, should have maybe looked this up, but it's, this is the third or fourth edition. Yeah, their first edition was in 2009, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, um, And it's funny because that subtitle is why American women and whatever, why, why billionaires will lose. Yeah. Okay, so they're totally wrong. Yeah. Already, right? And they say in the book that um, their, the subtitle to their first edition uh, was, quote, why the U.S., Japan, Australia, Turkey, and even Iraq are destined to become the king of the world's most popular sport. And they say, well, we were wrong. No, no, totally. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, and I think they're totally wrong about this subtitle too. Okay. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that. So yeah, so we're, so we're discussing this book, which is like a, it's basically supposed to be um, Freakonomics for soccer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, except it is way more boring and identity politics laden. <laughs> sure. Well, <laughs> at least the 2022 edition. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. So, do you want to kick us off? Well, I guess I could. Um, so, you know, Simon Cooper is uh, a journalist at the Financial Times, I believe. Currently, yeah. I think your favorite, right. your favorite newspaper. It is. Yep. And um, the other guy, the Polak. Uh, <laughs> I jest, I jest. Uh, he's an economist, uh, a sports economist, and I guess he's at Michigan now. So it is another, like you said, you know, um, 
journal journo plus economist combination right um well trodden well beloved um by us all so yeah and the first one came out 2009 you know a few years after you know freakonomics and i guess before everybody knew about expected goals and right statistics and whatever the saber saber metrics version of soccer is i guess soccernomics uh, and i have not read that version uh, presumably it's a you know it was like an introduction to all of this stuff um you know going beyond just they wanted it more <laughs> type analysis which right. this book would probably want you have you believe was everything the only thing anyone ever wrote about um soccer before they came along came along so um yeah it's kind of like gall it's divided into three parts <laughs> um so the first one is kind of a, a grab bag a smorgasbord uh, i don't know what you would even call it um of just like different little vignettes different i would almost call them stories about soccer largely focused on like europe i guess europe and england although other other people make an appearance um the second one is about like the fan experience right. and looking into that and then the third one is about international soccer so i guess you could say the first section is really about like club club soccer, soccer yeah yeah um yeah that's 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 correct so um i don't know about well i do know <laughs> uh in general the first section was kind of the most irritating and weird to me um yeah, it was irritating throughout for me. But yes, yes, but the most irritating, the most grating yeah. uh, was the first section. The second section, the one about fans, a little bit kind of yeah. like, eh, not as annoying, but kind of boring in some parts. And like, I'm not quite sure why there was like a whole very long chapter on like fan suicides, Yeah, which, which might be a thing. I, I don't know, because maybe people do talk about it. Um, you know, for countries that actually expect to win World Cups, uh, maybe your country losing is a big deal. Uh, not, not something Americans would know anything about. So, but like, who uh, cares? Okay, we'll, we'll talk. Maybe, we'll, get, we'll get there. We'll get maybe there. people do, right? If it's like a, uh, I don't know if it was worth an entire chapter. Uh, it was not. Yeah, gone. Yeah. <laughs> and then the the final section I thought was the more interest, the most interesting, um, and the one that most exemplified soccernomics, at least to me, was was on a club like um sorry international soccer right um you know a lot of it was about england which is fair because both these guys were based in england at some point or at least the economist was and simon cooper is english even right. though i think he's based in france so there's and a lot I, about england in there yeah yeah and i think the book was first published as a book for the english market and that then went yeah global, maybe right? yeah and it was called why england lose yeah great title <laughs> yes uh <laughs> so that's how it's split up and I don't know how you want to tackle it like in in chapter order or what but um you know like my general impression was not super positive um there was not that much enomics in this correct there was there was some um but a lot less than i thought and i was expecting more economics and more of like maybe like a business history of club soccer Mm -hmm. um on, on our side of the pond and across i know that's hard because there's like hundreds of countries doing soccer but still whatever uh you could have done it you know even just in england a more uh coherent story of like what was happening and why and and that sort of thing and that didn't really appear except for just 
never ending snark about stupid white men. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, and the same goes for even the international game. Like there was, there was more of it, but it was a lot of stories and then some sort of study and then more stories and then some sort of study, which always makes me really suspicious that you're kind of cherry picking. Um, in the middle section, it was just kind of, eh, you know, it was fine. They look like kind of overly long magazine articles, Ugh, uh, yeah. which is maybe what they were. Um, but some of it was interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, there are interesting little bits here and there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, again, expectations uh, is often how, you know, how you how you come into a book, what you expect from it, colors how you feel about the book. Mm -hmm. And I was looking forward to this book. Uh, uh, I had recently read Expected Goals by Rory Smith, um, which like is a just came out. So what, just like this book just came out or I guess a new edition of this book just came out. And that was a um, basically uh, a narrative, you know, a journalistic narrative account of how um, data began to penetrate um, soccer, and in particular the Premier League, right? And it just follows different people and how they were trying to get attention for the work they were doing. It follows like the open source, uh, you know, data movement, and the, the blogs and the bloggers and et cetera, et cetera, right? So, and it was super interesting. Um, it, like, again, narrative journalistic account. Um, and uh, sort of sort of side note, um, I believe Simon Cooper gave that book a bad review. Oh, did he? In like The Guardian or something or wherever oh. the hell. Yeah, which, is, which Rory Smith uh, mentioned he was very bitter about uh, on some podcast I listened to. <laughs> okay. um, but it, which is which which was I, I hadn't read that review, but it's surprising because that book, you know, the Rory Smith book was good. It was fine. It was yeah, you know, it's a good book. And so I was coming to this. I'm thinking, well, okay, well, if he's giving that book a bad review, this book must be excellent. Uh, and I figured this would be a more economics version, kind of version of that, right? And then you get to it, and this is basically if Vox or Chris Hayes or Rachel Maddow had read a book about soccer, it would be this. Uh I think if it was like um, Matt Iglesias. Uh, no, I don't think Matt Iglesias would go into so much. First of all, Matt Iglesias would, uh, no, would be more interesting. Okay. Matt Iglesias would not go into, uh, sorry, maybe, uh, no. What I mean by this is that it is not just condescending. <laughs> yes. But it's predictable and condescending. Right? I don't Matt know. Iglesias at least, I would, you know, would do a little, Yeah. yeah, you know. Well, I don't know if Chris Hayes or Rachel Maddow would write something as good as this. But fine, fine. But you, but see, yeah. my, you see my point. Like, yeah, I hear Vox, but that Vox is... Chapter one, yeah. uh, is soccer racist? <laughs> chapter two, is soccer sexist? Chapter three, <laughs> why are billionaires bad? Chapter four, right? Like, this is... Uh, sure. and, and, like, you know, you know me. Uh, you know, I'm uh, my uh, in, intense football... Uh, fandom is relatively new mm -hmm. and uh, you know part of the reason for it is that I'm sick of following politics and this is a good substitute for that and like I don't need this like I thought you were going to talk about soccer and like it's it is about soccer but it's about the same shit right like uh, so it just really turned me off yes well these are vital issues yes yes vital. yes 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 vital it's vital so, to, to send trillions of dollars to women's soccer because they once had a game 
100 years ago with 53,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, what, we, this is the biggest, my biggest problem with the book is it's very, very nitpicky and um, econo-brained when it wants to be. Yep. And then when it doesn't, it's just like, well, women's soccer is like uh, women's tennis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're going to pick the one sport where women are at close to parity with men in terms of like attention. prize money and interest and attention, yeah. uh, even though they're not the same sport. Yeah. Um, so we'll just say it's like that. And we'll that ignore is, we'll ignore every other team sport. Yeah. So we ignore every other team sport, which is on life support from men. Uh, from men's sports, as is like basically women's soccer, uh, and we'll just say like, yeah, they owe them. Men's soccer owes women twelve billion dollars a year. Because it's if like, you do, if you do the math as we like, have, okay. right? If yeah. you do, if you do the calculation, then you can estimate that if women's soccer hadn't been banned in England in 1900, uh, today women's soccer would have 41 percent TV share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like we um, did the math. Yeah, I guess that's that's a kind of math, but that's like. <laughs> that's come on it's um a lot of it so yes a lot of this feels very shoehorned they did not have a section on i mean this in the 2018 book from what i have it yeah in, in dead tree form I, I took a look at the contents i don't think they have a section on women's soccer they do have a section on corruption okay with, that's gone a, a chapter which is gone which is like that's oh way, way more important because well no offense ladies but um yeah. I mean, it seems like men's soccer owes reparations to like all the creditors that they've defrauded <laughs> over the last 150 years. Um, but anyway, yes. So there is that through line of just complete and total nose up in the air, like middle class schoolboy scorn mm -hmm. for people that run soccer. Uh, oh, my is, God. Totally. Which is probably fair. So there's this scorn until the scorn disappears. And then it's like, well, these these guys were like. Eh, there's a section on managers and how they don't matter, and maybe this is only for club <laughs> soccer until they kind of start mattering at the end, and right. the writing kind of devolves into very standard like, well, well, you need a great manager with great players, and it's like, well, earlier you said you just need great players, and like practically anybody can do it, and they're all mediocre white people anyway. So like, what difference does it make? Um, so it's it's that kind of thing where you're well, I mean, basically they're hypocrites in large yeah, parts of the yeah. book where it's like, I'm going to be very selective with my, my, again, my econo brain. And, and I, yeah. And I'm sorry. And they're not a good, and they're not good economists either. Right. So well, I don't when, know yeah. when, when, uh, going back to, um, the, the chapter on women's soccer and how there should be reparations because whatever, uh, one chapter, I mean, he exp they explain that there have been several attempts at a women's league in the U.S., and they each have sort of failed, right? I guess there's one now that's... There is one, yeah. Mm -hmm. ...that's going on. Uh, but each time when they started to um, begin to fail, they were to the, they, they pulled a plug on them, whereas when MLS started, it start, had a rocky start, but they stuck with it, right? And this is what they say. The men whose wealth determines which leagues live or die in the U.S., believe there is a profitable future in a men's league made up of mediocre American and foreign has-beens, but not in a women's league that would include most of the world's best female players, almost all of whom were American. Think of it this way. If someone offered you the chance to take one of two products to market, 
would you choose the one for which there were dozens of producers better than you or the one for which you were the best producer on earth? And it's like, you wouldn't um, you not just look at uh, production, but also demand? No, no, no. If you build it, he will come. I mean, <laughs> so this is what I mean. Like, yes, if, if they can yeah. write this, then I just, I just stop reading. Like, I'm just like, okay, well, yeah, that is the temptation. Also, on my part, it's like, yeah. well, if you're if you're willing to basically uh, degrade yourself to that level, which is what I view all writing like this as, yeah. um, it's like, well, you're just degrading yourself. You're kind of crawling on your hands and knees, uh, begging your um, other professional friends to like not call you racist, right? Uh, or sexist or whatever. Um, like how, where else has this infected your, your writing? Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, this is not a problem exclusive to like left wing or center left people, obviously it's, yeah. um, but it, you know, this is just an example of it. Um, I mean, you know, you can just say like, here, here's, here's what actually happened with women's soccer. All I ever have heard is, um, the men got jealous. They thought that women's soccer was going to overwhelm men's soccer and they banned it. Um, and there's this game that happened with 53,000 people in attendance and it's the biggest game ever up to that point. And it's never explained that like, I mean, would it have taken over? Cause like society was so fucking sexist that they banned it. <laughs> they probably weren't going to go. Um, why were there 53,000 people there? Was it a freak show? The tickets free? You, you know, like it was just after World War One, all the men were dead or like limping around with no legs. You know, like all that context just has to go out the window. Whereas every other section is like, we're going to add like 1500 layers of context to show you why you think is ain't so. Except in this case, which would, you know, upset people that don't want to be upset. Um, you know, it's like, well, no, they shouldn't have banned women's soccer because, you know, that's not very fair or nice. And, um, you know, it probably would be in a better state if it hadn't been banned and if people weren't sexist, but that it doesn't mean men's soccer owes women's soccer like $30 billion in reparations every year, which is kind of their conclusion. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm not which even going like, to address which that. Just, which was a little odd. Um, and I mean, yeah, so that stuff is very, yeah, it's very like, not it's like below, it's like sub-Vox at that yeah. point. I would expect more even from something like Vox. This is like, this is the nation. This is like a New York Times style piece, yep. uh, which is a little weird and disappointing. Um, you know, the section on like racism and soccer, that's a little better. Yeah. Um, although even so, it's it's a little strange. Um, like the explanation, like I, it's, uh, it's plausible. It so is, very, but, the, very, but the conclusion is also that that seems to be in the past. And then there's a chat, there has to be a chapter on racism in soccer managers. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> yes, there is a, there was a, a section on racism in soccer, uh, which was not that far by, in the past, but it's not that far in the past, but it seems to be in the past from what, from, from what they're saying. Yes. And the reason it's in the past is because markets work eventually. Yes. Not yeah, because they, anything else happens, because markets ultimately work. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, the fact that you kind of can see, although the whole point of the book is like, you can't really see, you think you see what you're seeing on right. the field, but in our math, so let's, let's just wave that away and right. just say like, people can see like who is a good player and who isn't. 
even though apparently they can't, which is the whole basis of your book. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, you can see that, like, well, that black guy over there is, like, way better than this other white guy. Like, maybe we put aside our racism to win. Yeah. And eventually, you know, people are rewarded for their skill, uh, which these two tell are telling us no one can know except them. But anyway, uh, so that will equalize you know, income and prestige for black and white players. But because management is somehow more opaque and nobody knows what they do, um, you can still get away with racism in management. Right. Um, which is why there are so few, uh, well, according to them, so few um, capital B black, which I'd like to get back to, uh, mm -hmm. managers in England, I think, or just throughout the world. I think England is yeah. Specifically, yeah. they were talking about England. Although they did mention that, like, well, it's about four to six percent in the in like the top leagues, I guess, for for black managers, which just happens to be like the proportion of black people in in the country. Right, but you can't look at that. <laughs> but you but you have to look at the percentage of black players playing yep. for these leagues, which is like I, I guess they're not all English, but fine. <laughs> uh, so you know, their claim is. Um, these people are still racist, but they're racist against black managers because nobody knows what managers do. Uh, and they're useless. So managers are useless. Nobody knows what they do. They get paid too much money. Well, and because you, uh, you're going to be conservative, uh, yeah. you know, the, the management management is going to be conservative in its selection because they're going to pick basically a stereotypical, uh, they have a, they have a description on there, a white male, uh, with a conservative haircut yeah. between the ages of 35 and 60 years old, especially if they're a former professional player, because if they pick that person, then when something goes wrong, they can't be blamed for having picked something, I guess somebody with a non-conservative haircut, right? With the... <laughs> so Jerry, in your few months of watching English yeah. Premier League, have you noticed how um, owners are never blamed by when they pick play, when they pick managers like that? <laughs> that that like, so, totally doesn't happen. Number one, and if they pick and if they pick a uh, a black manager, and then doesn't work out, all the fans say, "I can't believe you picked a black manager." Happens all the time. Um, yeah. So it is true that like there is probably some sort of inefficiency in like an old boys network in there, kind of, but it probably is partly because well, like nobody really knows what these people do. It's very hard. Um, and hopefully it like works itself out over time, but I, I don't know if it's because of racism or, or some other reason, because if you are between the ages of like 30 and 60 or 70, you know, because of how late it was when England opened up to actual black players, you know, consistently, you might just be, you might just not have that many black men who were former players available to manage at this point. Right. And they do mention a few of them, like Paul Ince. Paul Ince was like a disaster when he got hired, and I think he was fired after like eight games. Like, I mean, it does happen. Like these, some some black men do get hired, uh, and they get fired very quickly. Um, same as white men. Uh, so, it, anyway, like it's very complicated. I'm sure there is some prejudice still. Absolutely, uh, which is not. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. that there that's, that there isn't. It's just that their treatment of it here yeah. in this book is not good. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good, and their solution is basically force teams to hire black people. Right. Which is like, well, um, I guess. I mean, it doesn't 
you know, you know, you would think that it, this is this, in, this would be like 2022. There are clubs that are innovative enough, like your club, that right. if they see low hanging fruit, they will go for it. They don't they don't care. I mean, it's like people got weird haircuts now. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Conte has a job for crying out loud. Oh, sir, <laughs> he's a proven winner. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, the other, so, the, one other quick on. thing, the annoying, which I noticed fairly quickly, they they've they've done the capital B black thing, yes, which they did not do in the 2018 version, yes, um, and white lowercase must must be must be lowercase and preceded by stupid or old, <laughs> and followed <laughs> by men uh, in all cases. So there is the uh, there is this general you know vibe tone to the entire book like this. Uh, especially in the first section, and it's incredibly grating and annoying. But as as you said, it also makes me concerned that the rest of their analysis is just going to be cherry picked, because you can just get economists to do freaking anything. There's a lot of like bad stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying the author is doing that, but um, we don't really have a way of knowing, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So um, can can we talk about their? when they do talk about the business aspects and, and the profitability and all that of soccer. Mm -hmm. So I, so th this is, uh, their tone is absolutely grating and condescending. So let me give you one sentence. Uh, until very recently, and to some degree still today, anyone who spent any time inside soccer soon discovered that just as oil was part of the oil business, stupidity was part of the soccer business. Right. right? And, and this is just how they view the, all management of these soccer clubs, right? These are, and and these billionaires are morons because they're never gonna make any money at this. And they explain why clubs will never make money, will never be profitable. And they're like, that's fine. Um, they like it because they think we should be able to burn billionaires' money. Like it, it's, I mean, they literally say that. Um, but then ultimately, like I'm looking at the world and Liverpool's up for sale. It seems yeah. like it's going to go for $4.3 billion. I'm pretty sure that it was bought for like less than a billion dollars, like 15 years ago. So, uh, right? Yeah. 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 It's, um, I think it is hard. It's, it, so, you know, they're talking about largely England and they're talking about all the, 92 teams in the top four divisions. Um, and it's probably true. There's a lot of dumb people running it, running those teams. Sure. Um, what could have helped is, you know, some scale, uh, some, some sense of time. Like, yeah, I bet people who ran clubs in like 1920 were not as good at it as maybe now. But like that's 1920. <laughs> but I'm sorry. I think I think they're confusing um, responding to incentives with stupidity, <laughs> right? Like um, the Glazers and Abramovich and all these people have different incentives. Sure. Right. Yeah. And 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 the Qataris that own PSG, right? Like they have different incentives. And I, you know, this is where a more a more like. <laughs> a more business side focused history would have helped yes. because you can run a nonprofit well or poorly, right? Yes. Obviously. So, and you can run a soccer team well or poorly, even if you're just trying to win, like, Oh, Roman Abramovich was not really trying to make money. Exactly. He was trying to win and, you know, be entertaining in the process. 
which is why he hired Jose Mourinho twice. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, he seemed to do it pretty well in the beginning and maybe not so well later on. It's like, well, we'll do, do a thing about that. And they barely talk about Chelsea, which you thought you think would be a very good example of like a crazy rich psychotic Russian billionaire owner who wants to win. Right. As opposed to like, look at the Glazers. They're but also, kinda... the Glazers are not stupid. Like, okay, if you, if you want to give me examples of stupidity in soccer, the Glazers and John Henry, right, who they dis- disdain as these billionaire morons, are not it, right? The Glazers are so smart that they bought the club with the club's own money. Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 my issue is like, do they say that the Glazers and John Henry are, are stupid or do they just kind of throw around stupid, but they are never very specific? Uh, we don't think the private equity firms will succeed where almost all past investors have failed and managed to make profits from the game. What's more, we don't want them to. We prefer soccer to be less, to be loss-making. We don't think the advent of profit-making <laughs> clubs would mean a new, quote, healthy, quote, sustainable era in soccer. That's because we do not see the point of enriching the owners i mean <laughs> well i kind of agree with them in that but um yeah see that's the thing like they're very they're very, very focused vibrant. well yeah they're very focused when they want to be and then they're unfocused and it's like well you know people in soccer are dumb let me tell you the story from 1966 and it's like guys that was like 80 years ago I mean, you know whatever and, however and i'm sorry let me just this is just the same paragraph going that I, that I was just reading from right <laughs> yeah. they say well you know and to and to explain how terrible it is when uh management treats a club like a real business right mm-hmm. and how terrible it is you have to look no further than arsenal okay by 2021 after a decade of disappointment on the field but healthy profits off of it forbes valued arsenal at 2.8 billion dollars it was purchased for 1.7 right so this guy, so Kroenke, has been successful, but Arsenal isn't a great soccer club anymore, but it's a good business. This is what club run as a business looks like. High ticket prices, little desire to win trophies, and big profits. Hey, assholes, guess who is number one? <laughs> oh, come on. on the, in the league right now. I know this hurts you, Stably, <laughs> but who is at the top of the league right now? Who's going to probably win the league? They're not going to win the league. Newcastle. Anyhow. Yeah. So... Do you, I mean, like, I stopped reading this, these people, like, I'm, I'm reading but this, and I'm like, I, you I, literally wrote this at the beginning of the year. No, I think, that, I think they're correct. Like, running a, running a team like that as a big business, as a money-making business, that's what it will lead to. It will lead to finishing fourth every year. You're, you're maximizing profits, yeah, minimizing yeah. costs. That's, but that's, that was the. But I'm sorry, fourth is not that bad, dude. It, it, it isn't if you want to make money. It is if you actually want to win something. <sighs> Right. And that's the, that's what fans want is like, you fourth yeah. is not a trophy. Yeah. It just isn't. It's like perpetual mediocrity. It's like, you. it's not even like in the NFL where you can count uh, conference championships or something <laughs> like that. That's a thing, I guess. But second isn't a trophy either. Yeah. You got to win. Um, and that's understandable from a fan's point of view, it, especially if you're a club like Arsenal, you're one of the biggest in the world. Your job is to win. It isn't to make money for the manager or the, okay. the owner. We'll touch base in May. <laughs> I mean, if it works, it works. But it would it still would have been decades plus of mediocrity and, and terrible right. results and people being very upset. Um, so, you know, uh, 
you, I can guarantee you if they win this year, they won't win it again. Right. That's true. Yeah. Because they, there's the desires to make money. Uh, you would think you'd do that by winning a lot, but it's actually very expensive. So um, I don't know. I, I thought they were very harsh on people in soccer yeah, being bad businessmen, especially when they acknowledge at, at a later point that like, well, you know, the point isn't really to make money, it's to win. And it's like, well, yeah, so were people good at that? I mean, that's the other thing. So, <laughs> so, so they talk about, um, uh, it was very interesting, how why clubs never fail. And I mean, one of the things is it talked about the, uh, the history of clubs basically going bankrupt, um, then setting up a new company to buy the club yes. and from the old company. And the old company just goes bankrupt. And the new company is basically the same company. It's called the Phoenix Company. Just starts again, like going into debt, buying players. Um, that sounds to me like very smart business. Well, uh, to, to quote to quote a former president, right? Yeah, like if you can get away with that. Yeah, that's that's not dumb. That's not stupid. Yeah, I don't want to get into like metaphysics, but like, what is a club? Yeah, it, it it's not. So Liverpool isn't John Henry, and it's not Fenway Sports Group or whatever the hell, whatever it's called. Um, and it's not the players, and it's not Jurgen Klopp. And it's not the building. It's not Anfield. Is it the fans? Is it some amorphous thing? That would have been interesting for me to like get into. Like, what does it mean for a club never to fail? Because what it could mean is, if say your your precious Arsenal, your favorite team, something catastrophic happens. Um, Enos is a fraud, right? And he's been embezzling money, and they have to take like a eighty point point deduction. Like they could still exist in the fourth tier, right? Like something, yeah. but like yeah. that's not. That. But that's not really what that's not really what fans want, right? Uh, I don't think fans are quite as like blasé about their teams imploding and then having to restart again from the bottom. And again, like more specificity, this tends to happen more in like the very lower leagues, fourth and third and, and second, or you know, occasionally to teams that like were in the Premier League once and then fell out of it. But. um you know, it seems to largely be a problem for really small kind of desperate teams. Like, okay, but you would expect teams like that to not maybe have the best management or to be so worldly as, you know, a team like Chelsea or Arsenal or, or Brentford. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, what was happening in, in 1970 is you can't, how can you compare that to what's happening now? Uh, right. And they kind of just skip around and, and, and tell these a lot of stories without going like go decade by decade talk about after the premier league before the premier league um anyway uh yeah and and then all of that stuff is undone later when they say like well the point is to win right and like i, I know this is obvious but like it is a zero-sum game like when you talk about managers like who's a good manager who's a bad manager that was an interesting chapter kind of although it's also kind of snarky and annoying <laughs> it's like well so you have 20 teams. Somebody is going to be the worst team by definition. They have to be right. So that guy is a bad manager, right? Right. But well, he could be a really good manager. He just That's could be players. the 20th best manager in the world. That's still right. really good. Right. right. <laughs> so even if the results were all down to the managers and nothing to do with the players, he could be the 20th best manager in the world. That's probably like a really good manager. And he's going to have a terrible record. 
and fine, you can throw in the lower leagues and, and stuff like that. Um, and they do, but that's that stuff is all still zero sum. So it's very strange when they say like it, eh, managers don't really matter, except for these guys, they really could matter a lot. And then later on in the book, they talk about how it's important to have really good managers and really good players. And it's like, <laughs> well, what, which one is it? Do you just need good players? Um, and again, it it's it is nice to have like numbers and analysis brought into it. Um, but sports and especially soccer, it seems like such a like a luck driven knife's edge thing. Um, and people constantly say like anybody could manage those players and win. And it turns out you're not really. Like that's really not true. Like PSG has never won the Champions League, and the whole team right. is built to win that thing. And they have the best players in the world, and they can't do it. They come close, but they can't do it. And it's like, well, not just not just anybody can do it. In fact, nobody can seem to seemingly do it. <laughs> um, so you know, can anybody manage Cambridge United and do more or less as well as as they would be expected to do? Probably, but. Um, you know, when you get higher and higher, higher up, it's like, I bet there are people that are better at management than others. Um, and, and more attention to that would have been good. They kind of talk about how, yeah, there's like a crop of really, really good managers. Like these people make a difference. And it's like, well, what, how are they different? <laughs> Why are they different from other people? And they don't really get into it because ultimately like that's what, mm. that's what everybody is trying to do. Right. Nobody hires a guy and is like, oh, I hope he's mediocre. <laughs> it's like, no, you want a really good manager. How would you find that person? And they're like, eh, we don't know. It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, let me ask you a question, Stably. Yeah. Uh, is Lauren, has she prepared herself for what you're going to unleash on her now that the World Cup has started? She's happy. She's excited for it. She is? I mean, but does she know the World Cup's combined several risk factors for women in relationship with men? Sports, I already, I, I already alcohol, regularly. Sports, alcohol, and hegemonic hegemonic masculinity make up an awful quote holy trinity for domestic violence. I think alcohol would take the edge off a little bit. Right, I'd probably just be too drunk to hit her. You, does she know that men watching their national teams often drink themselves into a state of aggressive arousal, and this usually happens on hot Rank. summer nights Rank when violent you. crimes of all kinds tend to increase. So it's a good thing this World Cup is happening yeah, in the like, dead of winter. It's like 30 degrees outside right now. <laughs> <laughs> she can just throw me out the window and I'll I'll cool down. My arousal will drop to, to <laughs> some side. Yeah. This book. Uh, yeah, so there was a section on, uh, what is it? It, suicide. In one of the, it was in the suicide chapter. So they basically showed that like, hosting having work actually people don't kill themselves during sporting events it uh, tends to make people slightly less likely to off themselves in that right. month i would imagine they probably just postpone it uh i mean this the, is this is like literally like a vox uh article where the the, the, ch the title of this chapter is do people jump off buildings when their teams lose question mark and of course you know that whenever a headline has a question mark at the end the answer is no. The answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. So it was still somewhat interesting, although yeah, again, yeah. just very, very sloppy. It's it's a USA Today segment <laughs> uh, or or a Today Show segment, unfortunately, because right. even I was thinking like, well, like yeah. So you're looking at June suicides compared to other June suicides. Like, do people just postpone killing themselves and they just do it later in the year? 
or, or just all sorts of random stuff just came to mind when they were talking about this analysis. And then of course they have to go to like, so of course, you know, men are animals um, and they're going to beat their girlfriends <laughs> during sporting events. And I was like, I think I've heard of this. With but especially the, the World Cup. Especially the World Cup. Right. The World Cup For is what, is what makes some you reason. life, not anything else. Yeah. Even though like in, in Europe, at least the Euros are as big, if not bigger, maybe, you know, it's, it's a huge tournament. So I don't know why that doesn't cause men to go crazy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this, this is very reminiscent of like the Super Bowl increases domestic abuse by like 30%, which was, I, I had to look this up because I'd, I'd heard about it. It's not true. It's like just completely made up. Uh, maybe more studies have been done since that type of thing came out, but uh, it seems it's unclear if it's actually if that actually happens or not. <laughs> and it would have been good to learn more about it in the book called Soccernomics, um, as opposed to just being told that like that there's a, there's a study by a sociologist that claims there's a study. That. Yes. Yeah. Um, in fact, so I, I read a, a New Republic article, God forbid, about <laughs> about the Super Bowl specifically or just sporting events, and what they pointed out is domestic abuse does spike during holidays because and the weekends why people are because home people are home and the unfortunate wife or girlfriend cannot get away from her horrible partner so that's when they're around each other and they you know can be sometimes they're stressful events but largely it's because they're finally put in contact with the asshole <laughs> you can't hide from him um and the super bowl is a is a national holiday so it's not really that it's the Super Bowl. It's the fact that like people are getting together as families, as friends, as groups, and you're just actually you know put in contact with these people. It's nothing to do with. Uh, what I, was wonder, it? I wonder. I Ju wonder. Juicy patriarchy. What was it? Hegemonious. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Hegemonic patriarchy. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if um, if it, if they would do a study on domestic violence rates during the Women's World Cup. So many battered lesbian women shelters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. you know, again, it's totally plausible that like there could be some measurable uptick, statistically significant. <laughs> it's true. Like, hey, I mean, why would you rule that out? Just for, for, poli for political reasons or like cultural war reasons? Like, yeah, men are like stupid and, and a lot of them yeah. are brutish and they get drunk. But like. Is the it, point is, this is what this book is, right? Yeah. This book is not about soccer. This book is about, <laughs> it is about um, soccer. domestic violence during the World Cup. That's what this book is about. <laughs> well, and, I, and I'm just not interested in the book about domestic violence. I mean, hey, I'm not saying it's not an important topic. I'm just saying that's not that is the book saying. I wanted to read. I wanted to read a book about soccer. Anyhow. Yeah. Well, so we're, we're, we're shockingly kind of working our way through it uh, chronologically, chapter by chapter. Yeah. Um, there is a section on football versus football so you know yeah, actual um, kind of american football versus soccer pansy soccer um uh, they attempted to show that um, like american football is not actually more egalitarian or yes. balanced than say like european club soccer uh that's a big complaint that a lot of people have every day you can see it people complain that like especially like the german league is boring because Bayern Munich win every year. Premier League is boring because Arsenal win every year. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, uh, you know that these top leagues are boring because it's, it's the one, it's the same like one, two, maybe three teams, and they compare it unfavorably to the NFL, where like any given Sunday anyone can win. Right. 
and they attempt to show that that's actually not true. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to compare. The, the two leagues are so different. But I think they looked at the NFL versus the English Premier League and maybe the other club leagues. And they show that, like, it's not, you know, it, like there, there's just as much dominance by by teams in the NFL as there is in, you know, European club soccer. Um, and what we call fairness in America is actually unfairness to the better teams because right. we, we decide our, you know, our best team with uh, the playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, playoffs, like single elimination tournaments, you know, are more fluky, more luck dependent than a, a long grind of a season. So it's it's actually just unfair. And there are fewer which, games. And there are fewer games, which I, I found the whole... Yeah, of course, because they're like they're killing running, other, yeah. they're killing, they're already killing each other. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't and know it, how much of that I bought. <laughs> I I, th I thought it was kind of interesting, and I think also, yeah. I mean, as far as it goes, uh, of it being a retort to that critique you you outlined, and I think the other piece, which I kind of mentioned, but I think I would point out to somebody making that critique is that. Um, who's at the top, you know, who wins the league is not the only thing that matters. They're, uh, unlike, I think, I, I'm not a big uh, NFL fan, unlike with the NFL, there are a lot of different variables that matter to fans in, for example, the Premier League, right? So uh, do you qualify for Europe? Um, are you relegated? Do you win uh, one of the cups, right? Like there, there's a lot more going on. Sure, um, yeah. So it's not just one thing. It's, you know, who's champion. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like in most, I mean, maybe Champions League is bigger, but in most countries, it is the league that matters a lot. Right. right. So it's it's fair to, you know, compare the two. Um, trying to remember like what, what jumped out at me in that chapter. It's what, uh, one, I mean, one thing that I found very interesting, and I don't know if it was that chapter or that set of chapters about the relative popularity of soccer worldwide, uh, which I thought was this is like the one neat thing I learned and tell me if, if maybe you disagree with it. Um, is it probably the reason soccer has, so number one, it's British, it's an English um, invention. And mm -hmm. so it follows um, the British empire. But the interesting thing is it's that it wasn't kind of um, uh, uh, shoved down the throats of people top down. Uh, and actually, if you look at what the, um, uh, you know what uh, upper class British schools and whatnot were trying to teach people. They're trying to teach them cr cricket and maybe yeah, rugby, and rugby, right? Yeah. And where and so where you see the soccer really take off is where you have um, middle lower class uh, uh, English folk uh, immigrating. Yeah, I think that you know again, like I wish the whole book was kind of like this. Like, right? Yes, that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the point they were they were making is. You, if you look at the big kind of non-European, let's say there's like non-European soccer countries, because obviously England yeah. didn't conquer Europe. Uh, it's not the ones that England ruled directly that are really good at soccer. Right. It's the ones that, um, so it's not a better word, like, yeah, like British Empire soft power was at its strongest. Right. So like in South America, it was Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, learning it from those two countries. It was like English railroad engineers and company managers and school teachers right. that brought so, soccer over there. And th that wasn't what the, uh, the, the people, the kids at Eton and rugby were playing, right? They were playing cricket and rugby. 
So if you look at the places the English actually conquered, like India and South Africa and, you know, uh, the, uh, the Caribbean, those people are really good at, like, well, they're not good at rugby in the Caribbean, but Australia, they're good at rugby and cricket, better than the English, right. <laughs> but they're not very good at soccer. Yeah, like India, yeah. you know, India, Pakistan, it's all cricket. Yeah. And whereas, and this is kind of an, so I wish they had more data on this, but they basically make the case that the English are like born imperialists. Yeah. Um, and so they're very good, even, even the working class folks, right? Um, they're very good at taking with them the stuff and socializing it um, and being that sort of soft imperialist. Whereas Americans, um, this is very Zahan, uh, <laughs> Americans, um, the, you know, they go in, they conquer, but then they don't want an empire, right? They, they just, so when, when America goes overseas and conquers, they don't try to bring American, you know, gridiron football with them and share it. That's not at all, like they're not interested. They don't want to do that. And they don't. Uh, and so that's why it hasn't, uh, spread because Americans yeah. just have no interest in, in spreading that. I think it's also interesting that you have, and they don't, exp they don't, exp I wish they, they had maybe gotten into this. I guess maybe it's a little far afield, but it's interesting that you have uh, Australia and America, which are two uh, former, you know, British colonies that are kind of both, um, what's the word, just completely isolated so that you have evolution happen, you know, within them. They each evolve their own kind of domestic version of, football that's very yeah. popular only there. yeah yeah well yeah it's so yeah very interesting chapter good chapter yep. uh yep. you know it's not it's definitely not something i had thought about like oh yeah like argentina uruguay like south american countries central american countries like they didn't they weren't really conquered by the, the british right um and the one like Central American country that is that was like Belize, I've never heard of it. Yeah, soccer. It's the other ones, right? And it was probably like you said, like it was like engineers and and company bosses and stuff like that, and school teachers. So, yeah. Again, wish the whole book was like that. What um, was the? Um, there's an Argentinian uh, club that is called the Old Boys. Yeah, Newell's old boys. Newell's old boys, right? Yeah, just, just like yeah, this like there you go in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, help, help, I'm in a nutshell. Uh, <laughs> so, what did you think of the chapters on, uh, I guess, international soccer? Uh, I was really skimming by that point. Okay, uh, what do you want me to? What so ask? Ask me more specifically. Ask you um, more specifically. Um, I mean, what do you think our chances are in this World Cup, Jerry? Um. I think we'll get out of group stage. Show your work. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I, I think we'll get out of the group stage. Um, I, I hope. hope. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you just. I mean, yeah. So did you read the chapter on? Uh, yes. What is it? Uh, why Western Europe rules international soccer? Yes, and it's okay. very. It's very much a uh, guns, germs, and steel kind yeah, of. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. 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 It's one of the longer. That? one of the longer chapters as well. So one funny thing is like the first, the first edition of the book was basically why Western Europe will never rule soccer again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then they went on to win like every world cup since. Uh, so it, it's, it is interesting. So the thesis is basically um, Western Europe, which is everything West of the iron curtain, which 
I don't know if the Hungarians and Czechs uh, and the Poles would appreciate being lumped in with Eastern Europe, but whatever. Uh, Western Europe um, is such a tight knit uh, community. Like the borders are, I don't know, permeable. Um, ideas flow freely. That's why the scientific revolution, industrial revolution happened there. Um, you know, you can just share things very quickly. You can copy people, you can steal. Um, There's a Republic of soccer letters. Yes. A Republic of soccer letters. Um, you know, you, 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 you can't, um, you can't help but learn from others and, um, have others learn from you. And that translates very well into soccer, especially now with all the leagues. Um, you know, a lot of players in Europe are European, even, even though they're from all over the world. So, you know, the soccer knowledge is just transmitted faster and better than anywhere else. I mean, and it's also the, a lot and, of people live there. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, you, you see the same thing in only one other place, and that is Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina. Right. Yes. And yeah. So I guess his, yeah, they, he also mentioned that like specifically yeah. Argentina, Uruguay, you know, they're isolated from Western Europe, but they were so well seated um, with, with soccer that, you know, competing with each other and then Brazil competing with them. Um, is is enough to like you know yeah. generate its own kind of and the, culture. And the, yeah, and the borders are permeable. Same and way. The borders, yeah. Yeah. So and, and that's why Western Europe dominates. I wonder. I, I wonder what they wrote in the previous edition about <laughs> why it wouldn't if it was the opposite. Um, but you know, uh, India is also like really big, and it's like one giant country that's bigger than than Europe by right. itself, and so is China. Those don't need to cross any international borders, and yet they're really, really bad at soccer. So I, I don't know why it's one of those where like, oh, this, oh, it's it something's happening over here. Well, wh what is that thing all about? Oh yeah, it's it's really big, has a lot of people, uh, cross border pollination. Okay, that must be that must be what explains it. And it's like, well, India and China are gigantic, way older than Europe is like coherent civilizations really want to do well at sports i assume especially china are at least india is really good at certain other sports why are they bad at soccer because like everything you said about well Europe i imagine it should translate to india and and china yeah but i mean i imagine that's just because soccer is lower status in those countries right so if you're but we don't know athlete, right? oh i but, mean but, but soccer was like for working class hooligans until very recently in, in Europe too. It wasn't prestigious. Uh, you know, they didn't even make a lot of money until no, but the, it, like, it was, the nineties. No, but it was prestigious among people who could like another thing that I thought was very interesting uh, is a chapter on the, why the English uh, team is bad or Eng you know, English. <laughs> yeah. Why English football is not great. Mm -hmm. And they said it's because, um, just culturally, it excludes the upper class. So if you're upper class, you're never going to play soccer. And so that just um, eliminates a, a big swath of otherwise, you know, talented players that you might be able to get who instead go to rugby or whatever else. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess my point is, is that I don't, I don't mean status as in socioeconomic status or class status or whatever. I, I mean, in China and India, I, I, you know, I have no idea what the, I guess, okay, so in India, like, um, if you are a, if you're growing up and you're a talented athlete, you're probably going to gravitate towards cricket. I guess. Right? Just because, yeah, just because that's, like, that's where how you're going to get 
more you know higher status like nobody plays soccer it's kind of like a uh, a first not a first move advantage what's the word a uh, the path dependency right so yeah. part of the reason this gungeon from steel kind of thing right so yes in europe you had all this pollination etc cetera, etc cetera, but there's also path dependency like it was just a sport that dominated yeah but uh, look but look at those indian england fans <laughs> yes yes um but except that like there are tens there are probably more premier league fans in india and yeah. china individually than there are in all of europe Yes, like, people are crazy about soccer. So, like, why doesn't it translate because, to again? Because <laughs> if you are a talented Indian athlete, your incentives are to pursue cricket, not soccer. Even if there are numerically more Premier League fans in India, you're still going to get more status as an Indian in India if you do cricket rather. Like, soccer probably isn't going to occur to you. And I and I was wondering about China. What is the national sport of China? Like, what is it that they're like? That's like the high status thing. Do you know this? I looked it up. The basketball. Uh, basketball is like um, second or third. I mean, and if you say ping pong, I have to end the stream. It is. <laughs> okay. It is table tennis. Okay. Is that funny? Table tennis is like the um, national sport. Yeah, but that but that doesn't answer the question of why. It's like okay, fine, yeah. but like, but we'll, like that—that's the whatever, thing. Is whatever, like, whatever path dependency happens, <laughs> I, I imagine. But that's like no answer, right? It's like I guess so. I mean, I mean that that is an answer. You can say it, but you can't say <laughs> it. But then, like, why are you why? So if it's path dependency, then why was there a whole chapter trying to explain why Western Europe is good at soccer when you could just say like, well, they just were. It's path dependent. Right. It started here. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, okay. Except yeah. for the except for the other part of the world that's really good at soccer. But we have a reason for that too. It's like, well, are you just are you just coming up with just so stories, <laughs> or is there like an actual explanation? I mean, I would much rather hear like, well, it's like 66% luck right. and just randomness. But let me try to explain the other part because we have India and China which, you know, have problems, <laughs> have had problems for the, you know, since as soccer was growing up uh, in the 20th century and into the 21st, but so do a lot of other countries and they still do better. I think, I think the Balkan countries have had problems um, and they consistently make it into the world cup and do well. Right. Um, but, um, you know, it's, I think it's because they just want it more stable. <laughs> they just want it more. That's right. They have the heart. Yeah. They have uh, soccer, soccer brains. Stably, we've been going for an hour. Yeah, I think uh, I think people understand. It's time to put it out of its misery. Um, uh, would you recommend this book? I don't know. I don't think I would. Um, yeah. You've you've become an evangelist for the beautiful game recently, yeah. so I'm sure you could recommend a few other books. Yeah. Um, that you know, I don't know if they take as uh, wide a you know, a wide uh, aperture, a aperture, the stare, a look <laughs> at the game as this, but I, I don't know. It was, it was weird. I wouldn't feel comfortable. I wouldn't feel comfortable giving this book to someone to like, who like didn't know anything about soccer yeah. because I think they're probably going to be misled in a lot of ways and maybe confused. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. No, I would definitely not recommend this book. Uh, this book left me cold um, and a little, just annoyed, like whatever. Yeah, no. If you want to read about soccer, they're, they're, like I, 
I would go with just narrative accounts. Like this book was just like trying to be clever about how we're going to take, you know, the enchantment out of the game with our hard data, but then they don't proceed not to do that. They just tell other stories that are annoying. Um, so if, if you're into, if you're getting into soccer, it's probably because you're looking for a diversion, <laughs> you know? Uh -huh. And so, I, you know, yeah, I'd recommend so that the club, which is one of the first books I read, about the founding of the Premier League is great because it it's it gets into the business, it gets into the game. You can read through the lines how a lot of these people are stupid. And oh wait, are you, are you saying it it doesn't glorify stupid, evil, ignorant, greedy <laughs> white men? You can, all these you can, games that are all these books about soccer that are written by like left wing Guardian journalists don't yeah. don't glorify it. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. So, I would have thought. <laughs> So that, that, you know, that's a good one. I, I like the Rory Smith one. If you want to learn about the data revolution, the Rory Smith one was was good too. You know, um, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I you know me. I've told you a million times the the uh, what's it called the Among the Thugs. Oh yes, <laughs> was, was the best book I've read all year. It's like a, a moment in time of like early '80s hooligan culture. Um, but you know, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot um, better. You can do a lot better than this. I did like the chapter on penalty kicks. Really? I did. I liked it. Yeah. Okay. Because that it, it that is to me one of the one of the places you can really dig into stuff into the data and and look at like what works. Yeah. Um. And you know, like it seems like a lot of other people have done the work for them. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's a whole book on penalty kicks. Yeah. Um, I, which oh I know is, fills you with dread. I, I think it's an interesting topic because it's like, it's almost like free throws. I mean, you know, not exactly, but like it, it is open to like economic analysis, especially game theory. Right. Yeah. And there's still the human element of like, well, okay, fine. You like, you know what you have to do. You still have to do it. It's, it's a lot like free throws. Like you would think it's the easiest thing in the world, but like, why are so many why? people like really bad at it? And it still has all like the emotion and drama, even though like you're some sort of calculating superhuman <laughs> who's randomizing uh, your your penalty kicks. Um, like more chapters like that, please. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. maybe not for you, but I think that sort no, of thing. I, yeah. I, I I get it. I guess it, to me the the problem set is. Yeah, I I don't know. I just. Um, uh, it seems like the solution is kind of obvious, maybe, which is try to be random. Sure. <laughs> like, well, uh, Ivan Tony, God bless, you know, uh, peace be upon him. Uh -huh. he, he says that his technique is that he does not know where he's going to kick the ball until he kicks it. Sure. I, I think the reason they include it is because England and English yeah, fans yeah, yeah. have such a, you know, uh, relationship with, with PKs yes. that. Uh, you know, uh, but I, you know, it's still interesting. I mean, I don't think it would be common knowledge to most people that like, oh, you randomize it. Like you don't even know what you're doing until you kick the ball. Most people would say like, are you crazy? That's how you miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I didn't know why they don't know why they didn't mention this, but like, at least in that penalty kick book, it, it seems like the best thing for a lot of goalies to do is just don't move at all. Right. Stay, stand right in the middle and right. But nobody ever does it because you look like a complete moron <laughs> if you just if you don't do anything and uh, the ball goes on either side of you. So goalies don't do that. It's like yeah, it's like human drama. It's 
you know, that's that's metrics trying to like bash through into people's heads that like, no, what you're doing is 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 not a good idea. Um, but anyway. All right. All right. Well, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, they can't all be gems. No. Uh, but Speaking of. We, we have a sweet reward waiting for us at the end. Kick off in about 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, next time, Stably, my pick, uh, The Authenticity Hoax, How We Get Lost Finding Ourselves by Andrew Potter, which is... We'll, we'll we're, be, we're back to it. We're back to it. We'll be, yes, <laughs> back to our usual uh, haunts. Uh, this will be the first three-peat author on the on the on the podcast oh that's right i, I like this guy this guy's like my gen x philosopher you know oh jerry yeah you're in trouble uh i i just i've run out of ideas i don't know yeah this so i'm, uh, I'm, I'm brimming with him uh right. it, yeah what like was the second one gems like soccer economics huh? hey you wanted to read that i did i did <laughs> um what was the other one we read it was the cool something like cool uh it was a rebel cell yes a, aka whatever yeah. And, and then the other one uh, was called On Declined. On Declined, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is great. <laughs> I, I love that. It was just it was just so tight with just a very tight little volume full of dread. Care, and, uh... care, careful, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, he's good. Yep. He's a good writer, if nothing else. Is he the philosopher or is he the journalist i think he's a journalist no 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 he's a philosopher he is okay i'm pretty sure uh he i know he's at a university uh andrew i mean he could be a journalist in a journalism in, program he is not a journalist uh he's a philosopher i'm like almost certain uh he's at the school of public policy uh as a former journalist yes 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 uh so he was a journalist uh He's a PhD in philosophy, so we're both right. Okay, okay. All right. Okay. All right, Jerry. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>